0: Come on, let's give Jesus a shout of praise before we sit down. (laughs) Hallelujah. You can take your seat today. Hasn't it been great so far this morning just to be together, to sing our praises to God? It's wonderful. It really is. You know, I often think about just coming into a room like this, singing, praying, Shout in praise together to someone that we can't see. Have you ever thought about that? I can remember thinking about it when I was 15 years of age, seeing all of these people so happy, so joyful, shouting, praising, singing their songs of praise and praying to someone that they couldn't see. And I thought, what on earth is going on here? They're all so happy, they're all so certain about something that they cannot see. And then suddenly in the, in, in, there was a moment in the service, I was 15 years of age, where an invitation was given by a man who was standing at the front of a tent of all places, and he said, if you would like to ask Jesus into your heart to be your Savior, if you would like your search in life to end today in Him, why don't you pray this prayer? It's not a magical prayer. It's not a magical formula. But it will just represent your empty heart and your need. And you'll call Him on in and you'll find a miracle that takes place. Well, I was... 15 years of age. What did I know about life? But, but somehow I knew that all of these people around me had something that I didn't have. At 15 years of age, my heart was hungry, my heart was empty, my life was desperate. And even at 15 years of age, I'd made a real good job at making a mess of it. I'd done a lot of damage to my life. Because that is our default as human beings. We just do ourselves damage on this journey through life. But I knew that that man was talking to me that day, and I prayed a very simple, broken, tear-stained prayer. And from that day to this, so that's 38 years From that day to this, I join with people like you every week, whether it's in this place or in our home, to sing our praises, to pray our prayers to someone that I cannot see physically with my eyes, but someone who lives in my heart, Jesus Christ, who's making all things new inside of me. I say that for this reason. You may be here today and wondering, just like I wondered, my goodness, all of these people, they seem quite happy and awake on Sunday morning. And they're singing and looking up to the ceiling. And there doesn't appear to be anybody here physically. But you see, the one who's risen from from the dead, Jesus Christ lives in their heart, has given them new life. And my prayer for you this morning, if that's you and you're searching, my prayer today is that your search would end, that you'd just simply invite Jesus Christ into your heart because he waits, he waits respectfully at the door of your life for that invitation. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, we're going to continue this morning in our series of messages that we've started walking through the Gospel of John. And whilst I was thinking about our service this morning and studying earlier in the week, I sensed the Holy Spirit direct me to speak about when life doesn't work as you thought it would. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. That's the subject, the title if you want one, the theme around which we're going to be thinking this morning. When life doesn't work as you thought it would. And if that's how you're feeling or thinking today, the Holy Spirit is here to help you. He's here to guide you through. Life at times for all of us doesn't work out as we thought it would work out. And when we realize this, it can leave us feeling disappointed, angry, and even frustrated at life because our high hopes, Our dreams, our plans for life may have seemed to have failed thus far. And when we see that and experience that, we can be left feeling dejected and at a low point. But it's in those times where Jesus will meet us. In those very low moments. In those moments when we think, that life hasn't worked out as we thought it might work out. It's at those crucial moments, those questioning moments, where Jesus will meet us. At those very junctions of pain and hurt, He comes to reach us. He comes to us on the road that we are on, on the road of life to reach out to us, to make us whole, and to give us the love and the care that we are in need of. Just a few weeks ago, I was riding in the Yorkshire Dales. I love to ride my bike, and uh, I was having a fantastic time. Riding just in the middle of nowhere, nobody around for miles and miles, and I was just having you know, the time of my life, riding up the hills and riding down the hills. And it seemed as if there was a lot more hills to go up than there was to go down. But at the end of the first day, I, re- I remember I got to this, this stream. Actually, it was, a, it was a beautiful waterfall. And I thought, I'm going to lay my head down for the night here. I pulled out my sleeping bag and I thought, I'm going to sleep under the stars right by this waterfall. I'm having the time of my life. In the middle of nowhere, there's nobody around. So out came my sleeping bag, put it on the floor, jumped into it. I was really tired, and as the sun was setting, I put my head on the ground, closed my eyes, ready to go to sleep. And then all of a sudden, I could hear footsteps. In the middle of nowhere, I could hear these footsteps. And to my surprise, this man turned up, and in... A North Yorkshire accent said, how do? I looked up. I thought, my goodness, how do? I said, oh, good evening, how are you? And we started to have a conversation. It was great because I hadn't seen anybody all day, so it was quite refreshing to start talking to somebody. And we started to talk just generally about, you know, the... The, the environment that we were in. The Dales. I was telling him how, how much I was loving cycling through the Dales. And he began to tell me about his love for the Dales. And it was a dream come true for him and his wife to live there. Because they had spent all of their life saving to retire and buy a house in the Yorkshire Dales. And that's where they were living and they were loving being there. But then... Suddenly, his voice dropped as he began to tell me about how just 18 months into their move, sadly, he lost his son-in-law, and his son-in-law was part of the center of their home, part of the center of family life. Son-in-law, 30 years of age, was suddenly taken from them. And he began to recount how, at that moment in time, he thought his life was over. He said, I just started to give up on life. I couldn't live anymore. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't motivate myself because my son-in-law had passed And we were just devastated. All of our dreams about being in the Yorkshire Dales and living here and enjoying our retirement had suddenly come crashing down because of this crisis. And then he began to speak about the ongoing needs in his body. The health concerns and challenges that he was having. As I listened to this man my heart became heavy because I could see that this was a good-hearted man. I could see that this man was just a great guy that wanted the best for his family, wanted the best for his wife, wanted the best for his children and and his grandchild. And now suddenly, a crisis had hit and everything, it seemed as if, was falling down around him. And he was, he was devastated. But then he began to tell me, he said, Do you know what? He said, I began to, 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 to pull myself together. I began to just decide life has to go on. I have to be around here for everybody else that's depending on me. And he began to speak about his journey back. To standing on his own two feet. Well, as I was listening to that man, suddenly I began to realize that the reason why I was there was not to enjoy myself on my mountain bike, which I did. But the real reason why I was there on that day was to just pray a prayer with Malcolm. That's what his name was. Malcolm. And... In your time of prayer, I ask you, pray for that man, Malcolm, who lives in the Yorkshire Dales, who's carrying the burden of life on his shoulders. I said, Malcolm, I said, can I pray with you? I said, I, said, I love Jesus. And I said, I cannot even imagine for one moment, the pain that you've had to go through. I can never understand the depths of tragedy that you've had to face in losing your son-in-law. But Malcolm, I said, Jesus at such times of life meets us, is ready to meet us, and I don't know how he does this, Malcolm. I have no idea how Jesus does this, Malcolm. But he can come into our pain. He can come into our crisis, Malcolm. And he can give us peace. He said, Dave, happily, he said, Dave, I'd really like you for, to pray for me. He said, I'm not much of a believer. I said, that's fine, Malcolm. He said, I'm not much of a believer, but Dave, if you would pray for me, that would be great. Well, we prayed together. And I just prayed those simple words where Jesus said, come unto me. Come unto me, all you who have a heavy heart. Come to me, Jesus says. All you who are bearing life's burdens come to me was his call and still is his call all you who are carrying the pains and the burdens of life on your shoulders turn to me and i will give you rest i prayed those simple words with jesus uh, with malcolm that jesus had promised He nodded his head. He said, thank you, Dave. Have a great rest of your ride. And off he went. And that was the end of our meeting. What I found in life is that when life doesn't work out as we thought it would, it's in those moments, at those junctions of pain, hurt, and bitterness where Jesus will meet us. What point of life are you at today? Everything might be going well, and that's wonderful. But there may be some of us here this morning, or maybe some watching online, and the point of life that you are at today is a painful point. The point, at li- the point of life that you are at today It's a point of bitterness, a point of confusion, a point of anguish, anxiety, and even depression. Jesus, Jesus does not live in cathedrals. Jesus doesn't dress up in all kinds of religious garb that seem that he's unapproachable. No, Jesus comes to those places and those points of life where we are in pain, are in need, and in confusion. That's where he meets us. That's where he comes to help us when we feel alone, when we feel helpless, when we feel abandoned. Where we don't know where to turn or what to do. It's in... Those very moments when Jesus comes to help us and to reach us and to take us on through to the place of strength and life in him. Today we're going to look at John chapter 4 as we walk through John's gospel. And we're going to see Jesus meeting a woman by a well of all places. Not in a synagogue. Not in a cathedral. No, he meets this woman at a well. Life hadn't worked out for her, so Jesus goes to meet her. Life was an experience of pain, an experience of, of, of care and confusion for this woman she was having to handle all kinds of hurt and disappointment from life. Yet Jesus reaches her. Jesus goes to her. And reading between the lines of what we're going to read, we can see that this, this, the life of this woman was characterized by pain and anguish and hatred. On this day that John records in John chapter 4, Jesus went to seek her out with one purpose, to give her new life, to make her whole, to make her strong, to renew everything that had been destroyed in her past. Let's read from John chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 3 through to verse 6. And it opens with John telling us that Jesus and his disciples were leaving Judea to go to Galilee. John chapter 4, starting at verse 3, says this. He, Jesus, left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. Near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy water food. Now, when you read those verses, it may seem that they aren't saying much initially. Jesus is leaving Judea on his journey to go to Galilee. And John remembers that it was on that journey where Jesus decided to go through Samaria. And the only explanation that Jesus gave to his disciples for the detour through Samaria was that he needed to go through there. That's the only explanation that he gave them. This was a detour. And this decision that Jesus was making to go through Samaria would have raised concerns with the disciples who were with him that day because Jews and Samaritans... Hated each other. They'd been divided for hundreds of years because back in their past, the northern tribe of Israel had intermarried with the Assyrians and created a mixed race of people who had become known as the Samaritans. And the Samaritans, over that time, had made their own religion. Which the Jews certainly did not agree with because it departed from what God had given them. It was a new religion that was full of idolatrous practices. So, the tension and hurt between the Jews and Samaritans ran very deep for a very long time. But Jesus... Jesus, as John recalls, takes this detour because he was moved. That's the only explanation that he gives. He was moved by a need from within him to venture over a border that nobody else would cross. He was going to reach a woman whose heart was empty and hurt. Jesus didn't just preach to masses of people. Jesus prioritized individuals. Just like you and me. He doesn't just preach to crowds. He isn't just into numbers. He calls the whosoever. He hears the needs of every heart. Every cry, every heart, he hears. And he heard the cry and the need of this woman's life. And that's who he was going out to reach. At this point, he didn't tell his disciples why he was venturing through Samaria, a hostile area. He just had a need within himself. That's what John says. And that need drove him. That need directed him. That need within him caused him to do things that were socially unacceptable by his own people. John tells us that when Jesus got to Jacob's well in Samaria, the disciples went off to buy food. They went down to McDonald's. They wanted some. They wanted a Big Mac and some fries and some chicken nuggets and a, and, a, and a strawberry thick shake. Off they went. Can we get you a happy meal, Jesus? We'll bring you one back. It's all right, boys. I'll just sit here by the well. I just need some time. Off they went to. See Ronald Macdonald and Jesus just waited by the well. And as he sat there by the well alone, this is where he meets this woman. She'd come to draw water. It was the sixth hour of the day, the day where or of the hour of the day that was the most hottest. Nobody would have been out at that particular hour, and many believe that she chose to come to the well at that particular hour because she was socially rejected and an outcast from her own community because of her notorious past, because of her reckless life. Nobody wanted to be around her. Nobody wanted to be associated with her because of who she was. And what her life represented. And everybody kept her distance. They kept their distance from this woman. So she chose the hottest moment of the day. To go to the well alone. It was a habit of hers, living alone. Living outside of the community that despised her. She goes to the well alone at the sixth hour of the day, and on this day, there's a stranger sat there who's looking very wearied and weak. She goes, as she did every day, to draw water. Do you know what I find wonderful about all of this is that God uses the normal events of everyday life to meet us. That's what John, one of the things that John is showing us. God will just turn up in the most normal everyday moments of life and take an opportunity to greet you and meet you and change your life forever. We often think for our lives to change or for us to receive a message from heaven, it has to be heralded by angels. Trumpets! Need to sound. (laughs) Lightning needs to flash. We need to be struck to the ground, hit to the floor, in order for God to speak to us. No, He'll just turn up at the well and sit there looking like a weak, weary stranger in more need than you. And that's what was happening. On this day, Almighty God, who had thrown the stars into space, who held the planets in their course, and all created things in the universe under the word of his power, was veiled in the weakness of human flesh, sat at a well, weary, in disguise, ready to meet the needs of a woman's heart who was empty, and confused he used just a normal everyday moment to reach her and as we listen to the conversation between Jesus and this woman at the well we see that she has no idea at all that this is a divine appointment for her life she hasn't got a clue she has no idea what is happening what is taking place And who is sat at the well that she is drawing from? She's abrupt and harsh and cold and sharp in her responses to Jesus. She's not pleasant, she's not polite. She's not nice or religious. This woman is cutting with her words and with her tongue. She's got an attitude, and she's got no time at all to talk with this stranger. She has no idea. He has no idea at all who is sat before her. But the wonderful thing is, is that in all of the abruptness, in all of the cutting sharp words, the attitude that she's giving off, Jesus is completely unoffended, unoffended by it all, because he's made this very detour to be in her presence he wanted to reach and help her. And no matter what barrier this woman would put up, no matter how abrupt or harsh or rude or impolite she might be to Jesus, Jesus is unmoved by it because he loves her. And his love is unconditional. His love is not based on her behavior His love is is not based on her fitting into a religious mold and being acceptable and, and saying all things right. His unconditional love takes her in all of her abruptness and rudeness and sharpness and accepts her and listens to her. Because, because he wants to get to her broken heart, her empty heart, and make it new. When we read John chapter 4 and listen in on the conversation that this woman had with Jesus, there's at least five arguments, at least five arguments that this woman raised with Jesus that tried to hinder him from reaching her on this day. But What's so wonderful to see is how Jesus moves carefully around each barrier that she sets up. How he moves carefully around each and every argument that she puts before him. Because he didn't want to fight her. He hadn't come to fight her. She wanted to fight him. But he had no intention of fighting He wanted just to help her, be there for her. The first barrier she raised, we'll look at these five barriers just quickly. The first barrier that she raised was around their racial divide. Look at verse 9. In John chapter 4, it says this, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew... Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus had only asked for a drink of water. That's all he'd asked for. But that one inoffensive request from Jesus awoke a fierce response, a fierce argument within this woman regarding their racial divide and she couldn't let it go she had to speak it out she had to mention it she had to try and close down this conversation immediately on the basis of this racial divide between them as far as she was concerned jesus had crossed a line by even speaking to her how dare he speak to her jews have No dealings with Samaritans. And it was obvious by his appearance that he was a Jew. He was in a place where he shouldn't be and he shouldn't be asking her for a drink. And she wanted to make it plain to him that she knew that and she wanted him to know that. And after that point, about the racial divide between them in the same breath. She also raised up their relational difference. Now, this is related to their gender. You're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman, and as a man, you know that you shouldn't even be talking to me in public. Their culture was very, very different from ours. A man can speak to a woman in public and vice versa in our culture, and it's no big deal. In that culture, it was it was a violation. It was deeply disrespectful, and it was a line that you would never cross as a man or as a woman. And suddenly, Jesus is speaking to her asking her for a drink, and she's quick, hot on the heels to mention that there's a racial divide between them and that there's a relational difference. You're a man, I'm a woman, you shouldn't be speaking to me. But still, even with those two strong objections, with those two strong arguments and barriers, Jesus just moves gently around them. Still pursuing her. He's not going to back off. You see, when his love is chasing you down, he's not going to back off. He's not going to back off. Not because he wants to make you, a, re- a you know, a religious monster. Straightjacketed up by rules. Straightjacketed up. Unable to move in life. But, but he wants to. Pursue you with his love because he wants, not to make you religious, he wants a relationship with you. He wanted a relationship with this woman that was wholesome, that was blessed, that was full of God. And he pursues her with his unconditional love. Even though she was raising these objections to close him down in their conversation, he pursued her even with all of the very real tensions, with everything stirring up within her, Jesus continued. He wouldn't argue. He wouldn't counter anything she was saying because he wanted to win her and reach her and be to her what he or what she needed him to be. But still, more arguments. We're going to follow. Because now, as Jesus began to suggest that he could give her living water, whilst she was intrigued by this, subtly she still pushes back and argues again further with Jesus, but now with. Rational fact. Now, she uses rational fact. Jesus had moved through the relational divide that she challenged him about. He'd moved on through that relational barrier regarding their gender. But now she comes to him with rational fact. In verse 11, she says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? This stranger that sat at the well before this woman was weak, was fatigued, and he was thirsty. And in her mind, as she looked at him, she'd already summed him up. He's weaker I'm stronger. What can he do for me? What can this man? didn't even know his name. And he didn't even know her name. What can this, this stranger do for me? She'd summed him up as the weaker. She was the stronger. And he couldn't do anything for her. How could he give her living water, which he was offering, which he was speaking about? The well was over a hundred feet deep, and he had nothing to draw with from the well. So she summed Jesus up very rationally and very factually, and quickly concluded that he couldn't give her what he was promising. And then, on from here, the woman quickly jumps to another very real argument about rank comparison. And now, she's measuring this stranger that's unknown to her by the well against their great forefather, Jacob. Listen to verse 12. This is what she says, "'Are you Greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Are you greater than he? Jacob had opened this well 1,700 years before this day where Jesus had met this woman. And this very place was part of their heritage. It was sacred in their identity as Samaritans. But what the woman didn't know was that the God who had given it to Jacob was sat there before her asking for a drink that she wouldn't give him. Are you greater, she argued. Are you greater than our forefather, Jacob? Notice Jesus doesn't even answer. He doesn't argue. He doesn't answer her question of, are you greater than our father, Jacob? Oh, he could have answered it. He could have wiped the floor with her in answering this question. But he doesn't. He holds back. He doesn't argue. He doesn't answer. He doesn't respond to the challenge, Are you greater than our forefather Jacob? Why? Because he tenderly wanted to lead her to answer it for herself. Jesus didn't get offended. She'd ranked him now below Jacob. But he just moved through another barrier, unoffended, to remind her of her deep need. That's why he was there, to help her with her need. Listen to verse 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, Jesus is suddenly getting to the real reason as to why he is there. Why he's there is to meet her need. Now he's turning something very physical and everyday to point to something that was spiritual and eternal. That can only be found in him. And by now, the woman is slowly starting to realize that Jesus is not there for her to meet his need for a drink. His real need is to meet her need. And this really is the crux of what John is saying through this chapter. In recounting this story. That Jesus, listen, listen carefully. Jesus isn't looking for us to meet his need. He's always looking to meet our need. uh, Matthew's Gospel reminds us of this wonderful fact about Jesus. When it says, Matthew 20, 28... Words that many of you will know well, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Can you imagine that? God did not come into our world in the person of Jesus Christ to be served, to be idolized, to be worshipped and put up on a pedestal. He came to serve. Not to be served by others, but to lay his life down and give it as a ransom for many. That is what Matthew and the other gospel writers tells us about Jesus. Every action, every desire was characterized by this heart that he had, not to be served by others, but God became flesh to serve those that he loved and that he was sent to save. It was Jesus' need to serve this woman that had caused him to take this route to the well. His need within himself to meet need, that's what caused him to cross a border, to break through every barrier that she set up. His need wasn't to win an argument To have a war with words. His need was to meet her need. And her need was that she had an empty heart. So now, as she begins to realize this, in verse 15, she says, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. This woman had lived all of her life being led by her thirst. Her thirst for life had led her into five marriages that had all broken down. Her thirst for life had led her to live with a man who she wasn't married to, that wasn't her husband. Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, was the great cry Of her life. And not just physically, but it was a deeper ache of her heart, a spiritual cry. Suddenly, in response to her request now, Jesus says, Okay, call your husband. She responds quickly. I haven't got a husband. Jesus responds, that's right, you've had five husbands. And the person that you're living with now is not your husband. Now, what's happening? Well, it's important to understand this. Jesus certainly is not rubbing salt into her wounds. Jesus is not ridiculing this woman to condemn her. By saying what he said... What he's showing us and what he's showing her is that whilst he didn't have anything to draw water with from the well physically, as this woman had already pointed out, he was more than able to draw water from the deep well of her heart that was filled with bitter pain. The message to her was clear from Jesus. Why live continually drawing water from the deep, bitter well of life that will never quench your thirst when I can provide a fountain of living water that will spring up to eternal life. Suddenly she calls Jesus a prophet. My goodness. He goes from being a Jew to being sir to now being a prophet. What a transition. You're a prophet. Nobody other than a prophet could be able to see into the deep well and the deep recesses of my heart and know about the bitterness of my life. But after calling him a prophet, she still has one argument left in her head that she has to vent. And it's about religious conflict. In verse 20, she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. But again, Jesus isn't there to win an argument. He's not there to deal with any uh, religious conflicts that are present. In the time, he avoids all contention because he was there to save her. He replies in verse 24, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And now at this point, it's as if the woman finally, she finally begins to speak from her heart. All the arguments of an angry head, of being vented. And finally, we hear the hope of her heart speaking out. In verse 25, here it is, she says, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things That was the hope of her heart, even in the midst of a a life that was filled with pain, a life that was full of bitterness, a life where she'd gone from one relationship to another relationship and been abandoned and left alone. The hope in her heart was that one day Messiah would come. And this is what Jesus was waiting for. This is what Jesus wanted to hear. The longing of her heart, not the arguments of her head. He wanted to know what was in her heart. And when he heard the hope of her heart, he said in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. After that, the disciples return. They've had their food. Had their Big Mac and fries. Got their thick shake, enjoying it. Hey, Jesus, there's a great McDonald's down in Sycar. Oh, it's all right, boys. Jesus says, I've had my food. You're talking about you've had your food. And it was many years after that John understood what Jesus was talking about. Because his food was not found in eating a Big Mac and fries. His food was in doing the will of God, in fulfilling his need within himself to meet the needs of others. And he'd just done it with this woman at the well. He met her need. Off she goes, running into the city of Sychar, telling everybody... (laughs) Then she sees, come and see a man that has told me, and this is what she says, he's told me everything I ever did. Did Jesus tell her, every, you can read it in John 4, did Jesus tell her everything that he ever did? No, he only told her one thing. So why did she say that he told her everything that she ever did? Well, I believe it's simple. When he touches one thing, he touches everything. You just give him one opportunity to come into your heart and everything changes. Everything's transformed. Everything becomes new. As a result of what that woman did as she went into the city and invited all of those people to come and see Jesus. As a result of it all, they were there two more days. Two more days. And at the end of it, everybody that heard Jesus said, well, now we don't only believe Because of what you said, we believe because of what we've heard him say. This is the Savior of the world. Amazing. It's amazing what God can do, what Jesus can do, when he meets us in those times that are most painful, that are most bitter where we're just going through the motions, it's amazing suddenly how things can quickly change when he meets us on the road of life in the most ordinary events of every day. And suddenly, we find him there. A new life is given as we receive him. Don't worry about the arguments of your head. He's not offended by any one of them. He listened to them move carefully around them and still reach into your heart and save it. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close our service in just a few moments. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but I'm going to share with you just a little story that I've shared numerous times here. And uh, forgive me if you've heard it before, but I know that I need to share it this morning for somebody here. Many years ago now, I was at a very low point in my life, and I didn't know why. I was emotionally low in my mind and in my heart, and I couldn't shake it free. Month after month after month, this sense of aloneness, this sense of of being forsaken, stalked me, haunted me. I couldn't shake it free. I couldn't understand it because I was in a loving home. My mum and dad, wonderful parents, provided a wonderful home. I couldn't understand it. I was in a loving home. I had a great job, I had a great paying job with a great future. But inside, I was empty. Inside, I was alone. Inside, it seemed as, I was, as if I was completely abandoned. And then one night, I, st- I sat on the edge of my bed, staring at my bedroom wall. I'll never forget it. And three times up out of my heart, I said these words, I hate my life. And it just came up out from the depths of my heart before my head could even compute what I was saying. It just came up in, like, like an involuntary, Word from within me. I hate my life. I hate my life. I hate my life. That's what I said. And then after that, I was troubled by what I had just heard my heart say. My head started to trouble me. So I thought, I'm going to read the Bible. I better read the Bible. Because I've said words that I don't understand about my life. And it's troubling me. So I turned to the Bible. And I decided to just randomly open it. Because I didn't know where to turn in the Bible. In all honesty. I thought, do you know what? I'm just going to randomly open the Bible. And I'm just going to kind of go. on wherever my finger lands... I'm going to read, and hopefully it will answer the emptiness and the pain within my heart. Well, I did that. I opened the Bible, and suddenly as my eyes fell on the page of the Bible, this is what I read "Read from John chapter 12, verse 25. It's going to come up. Look at it. Anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Right at that moment, I was in awe. Right at that moment, I was completely overwhelmed because I knew somehow, I don't know how, but somehow Jesus had listened to the painful, bitter cry of my heart. I always thought that Jesus needed a polite prayer. I always thought that Jesus only listened to prayers that sounded well, confident, whole, and healthy. But on this night... I didn't have a nice, polite prayer to pray. It was a bitter, awful, painful cry from the bottom of my heart, and Jesus heard it. I was amazed. Because on that night, it was as if he was saying to me, Dave, is okay. I understand that you hate your life in this world. I understand it. I understand the bitterness. I understand the pain. I understand the confusion. I understand that this life and this world will always leave you thirsting for more. And it will never satisfy the deepness of your need. I understand it, Dave. That's why you hate life. That's why it's bitter to you. But it's okay, Dave. Because now, from this moment forward, you're going to see my eternal life starting to make all things new. This morning you may be here with a similar need. I'm here to tell you that if you hate your life or if you hate areas of your life, it's okay. Because there's areas in all of our lives that we could look back on and be saddened by that life hasn't worked out in the way that we thought it would in relation to that particular season and that particular area. But Jesus says it's okay because I'll give you living water and that living water will become a well, a wellspring within you that becomes eternal and makes all things new. Amen. I'm going to pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your goodness. We thank you for your word to us. And Lord, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. There are times in our lives when we feel that life hasn't worked in the way that we thought it would. We can be left feeling anxious and despondent, angry and even frustrated. Because our plans for life have fallen down. It's in those moments, in those times that you meet us. It's in those moments and in those times that you come to us. Because you love us. You won't forsake us. You won't leave us. You understand that life disappoints us. You understand that many times our life is led by our thirst to live. And we get into all of the wrong places and do all of the wrong kind of things. But you never reject us. You receive us. You meet us to make us whole. Lord, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice today that we would know you as that living source of water, that ever-flowing fountain of eternal life by which we will never thirst. We thank you, Lord, as we turn our eyes on you, as we look full in your beautiful face. The things of the earth will all grow strangely dim as we live in the light of your glory and grace. We thank you for it. And all God's people said, why don't you stand to your feet right now? Listen, let's just give Jesus a shout of praise. We're going to sing before we go. Let's thank him for his word this morning to us. Let's thank him for his goodness and his mercy. And it's love that's unconditional. Hallelujah. God bless you.